What's up, everybody? What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to the Kino Cafe. This is your host, Lavelle Powell, as indicated by the sign behind me there, huh? Welcome to the Kino Cafe. I'm so happy to have you all here. Uh, I have a very good episode, great episode, in fact, for you today, uh, for you to check out, as today we are going to be interviewing the uh, great, talented composer, keyboardist, a musician, all-around great guy, Dr. Kirk, Kirk Fisher, okay? Kirk Fisher is uh, out of the uh, Texas area, and the guy has a very interesting uh, uh, career path that, that took place in his life. Um, I'm going to let him tell you about that, but I think it's very interesting uh, primarily because, to me, it serves as good inspiration for other artists who would like to have a career in the industry and may face some, some challenges and some crossroads that may cause them to sort of question whether or not this is something that's meant for them. I think his story will both inspire you, you know, and, and give you, um, give you any, give you some hope, you know, as far as like pursuing your own career in this industry. Right. Uh, so I think that, uh, this particular episode is going to be good for that purpose. So, uh, Dr. Kurt Fisher is our guest today. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Um, we talked with uh, entertainment manager, business mogul, Mel Albin, who discussed uh, some very viable options for uh, people in the entertainment business who have been sort of uh, downsided and kicked in the butt, you know, by this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and uh, really, and one of the one of the main things that came out of that discussion last week was the fact that now is as good a time, or even no better time than now, to uh, start a career in the industry. There's so many new opportunities out here for you, for us. Uh, the uh, entertainment industry has a lot of technological advances that we can take advantage of that can be designed to help us. Uh, uh, carve our uh, uh, even bigger niche or and and just have uh, an, an over, overall great success in this industry. If we just um, bring, just accept that, hey, we're going to have to think outside the box, sort of adopt an adaptive mindset and just put some of these uh, things that he talked about into practice. I think that a lot of people will benefit from it. So last week's episode was of particular importance in that respect, okay? So today we're going to be talking to, as I said, Dr. Kirk Fisher and Kirk Fisher's story is another one of inspiration uh, because you will have sort of an example uh, of, of challenges that maybe uh, many of us as artists have faced. You know, we all had that moment where we questioned uh, whether or not this was something meant for us and we, we may have kind of diverted on a different path, but all in all, that journey that we take is all designed to, you know, to bring us full circle. And I'm going to let him talk about that. So I understand that um, a lot of people were very happy with last week's episode, by the way. So I'm very happy to see that. Um, that's very important to me because that um, indicates to me that we were definitely on the right track in uh, uh, presenting that episode uh, uh, in light of and sort of that destructive path that the uh, uh, pandemic sort of left in its wake. Um, but the good news is, you know, there there is a vaccine, and in fact, there's a a couple of vaccines, and and um, we have uh, some uh, vaccinations that have started, and and that's probably going to increase over the next few uh, throughout the year. That will um, sort of you know help kind of help get us back to some normalcy, right? So, you know, that, that's one thing I think that's good to look forward to there. So uh, there is a light at the end of this tunnel that we're in, huh? So now back to Kirk Fisher. So what we're going to do, we're going to start off with a very wonderful song that he did called Shades of Grey. We're going to start off with that. And then right after that, we're going to jump right into the interview with the wonderful Dr. Kirk Fisher. Okay, you guys stay tuned.
Well, Dr. Fisher, thank you very much again for coming on to the show. I very deeply appreciate this. So, uh, so I wanted to ask you my, about- My pleasure. Yeah, um, this, this, is, this is a great uh, honor uh, to have you here. Uh, but I wanted to ask you um, uh, about your track, The Bass Majority, because it, it's, I love all of the tracks that you sent me to listen to that I've heard, but that one is like, uh, it, it's very nice, man, very nice. Uh, and uh, I understand that there's a, uh, a backstory behind that. Oh, yeah, there is. When, uh, you know, I played all around the United States for about 10 years, and then uh, part of it was uh, sort of a journey, if you will, was uh, after about 10 years, I decided to take a job in a piano and organ store because that's all I knew how to do at that time was I thought I could, you know, sell a few pianos and that. And there was a guy in there. His name was Nathan Bast, B-A-S-T. Okay. And he was an old B3 He'd been selling B3s and Hammonds and stuff forever. And he had hands that were just huge. He could be like an octave and a fourth with no problem. Yeah. And he knew these unbelievably great jazz chord progressions. And for me coming off the road as a rock musician, this was really interesting stuff. Yeah. And if you listen to the bass majority, it starts out with this huge brass. Wow, 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 wow. That's yeah. his progression. He taught me that progression. It's actually wow. for, for, for your musician friends out there. It's a combination of a big open six chromatic with a circle of fifths bass. And it's just, I've, I've used it for years. And when I got around to doing the CD, I thought I'm going to use that progression somehow. I'm going to figure out a way. And I laid it down. Well, then Greg Adams picked it up and he said, well, let's hand it over to guys like Lee Thornburg and let's just blow the roof off. And I, I think it came out really well. It did. It's a, it's a very lovely track. I love it so much. And um, thanks. I appreciate it. You have you your your sound is, is is very addictive. Now I found myself listening to your tracks like uh, multiple times uh, because I, I wow it, it just has a very nice feel. It just does something for you when you listen when you listen to it and very very laid back uh, and it's, it just entertains you. You know, it takes you on a journey. I, I believe, um, but you know, you you mentioned just a second ago about the uh, um, taking a break. Yeah, um, back back in the. Uh, was that the seventies? The late seventies. It was, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I played for about 10 years straight from 68 to about 78. Okay. And some of that was in high school. I was a pretty decent player early and ended up playing, uh, you know, don't, don't tell him I, I ended up playing on a fake ID in a bunch of bars when I was you know, <laughs> really young and, uh, and then got into a touring band as soon as I graduated from high school and, did that and uh, uh, after about eight years of doing that and not achieving what I set out to do, which was to sort of become a rock star, uh, I decided to take a break and uh, went to work in a piano and organ store. And uh, there I met my wife. And then I thought, well, you know, I don't know what I should do next. So I decided to uh, uh, go to the local community college and I discovered of all things accounting, which I really liked. And uh, after 10 years of, of working, I think pretty hard, I just decided that being, having a stable home life, having a decent income, those kinds of things sounded pretty appealing at that point. So that uh, put me on uh, almost 20 years of really not playing music at all. And then uh, ultimately I ended up coming back to it. But um, yeah, so it was sort of, an, sort of an interesting journey. And a lot of my friends that knew me in, when I was a musician were flabbergasted that I became a CPA. Yeah. And all of my friends I made when I became a CPA were fascinated when they found out I used to be a long haired rock musician. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think that is interesting for, uh, for that, uh, that type of career transition, you know, uh, I can see why people would be like fascinated with that. And as well on the, on the other side, uh, people who know you as a CPA, being uh, uh, like blown to find out what you were doing prior to that. Um, yeah. So, so what, what, what um, was there something, was it an, an event that uh, led you to jump back into the uh, music? Was there something in particular? There that, was. That, okay. There absolutely was. Um, I had been dormant in music for almost 20 years and had a, a wonderful career. I had a very nice corporate career. I was in software. I had my own firm. I sold it. 
and um, you know, it was, it was financially successful and that, and also personally successful, you know, I've been married for 42 years. My kids were doing great. And uh, I was at a company, I was vice president of a software company and we had a big customer conference, about 400 people there. And so we hired a band to have a big night out, you know, you know, typical corporate stuff. And one of the technicians in our company got up to sing a song with the band and he was fabulous oh my gosh this guy had pipes i was blown away i did i had no idea there was anybody else in the company had that kind of talent and so come to find out um uh, here's a little thing for you lavelle and some of your uh, listeners may, may know this there's a high degree of correlation between people in technology companies and i was in the software business yeah. and musical talent a lot of musicians become computer programmers and vice versa um, you know, you know, exhibit A was Paul Allen who helped found Microsoft. It was a, you know, it was a, actually a very good guitarist. And, that, and so uh, a bunch of us in the, in the company, and this was 1999, got together about August and we said, you know, why don't we, like the four or five of us, they found out I played keyboards. Why don't we put together a little band and play for the company Christmas party? So it was, it was just a gag, literally just a gag. And uh, of course, uh, I ran out and, you know, Guitar Center loved me. I ran out and bought a keyboard and did a couple of things. And uh, it, it sparked what I remembered. Okay. And I went, I, God, I used to love doing this. And it also reminded me, if, if I can indulge in the conceit, it reminded me that I was pretty good at it. And I... Uh, at that point, I thought, well, uh, digital recording was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. I'd always wanted a recording studio in my house, but I could never afford it. Well, now I could afford it because it had come down in price quite a little bit. My income came up. And so I bought some recording equipment and then I became a gear hound. I bought another keyboard and then another keyboard and got some friends together. We started recording stuff. I started writing material again. And that was over about a four or five year span. By 2005, within five years, I was um, recruited into one of the more popular local bands that I'm still in today, Touch okay. of Class, which is on, uh, uh, we, we have some stuff on the radio and that. Uh, they're very good players and singers and that. And it, I, just, I just remembered how much I loved it. And now I'm, I'm back in. I've been back in now for almost 20 years. And this is this is how it is I, you know i'm very proud of my academic and corporate career but boy i just i just love to play well you know uh you'd be surprised how that that journey you know uh from when you uh um, departed from it for a while and then came back into it that whole journey is all part of uh the whole process of of i would say discovering your purpose you know what it is that you that you're uh meant to do yeah, you, you, you mentioned uh, that you're very good at the keyboard, which you are. Uh, definitely Shades of Grey is another song that's, that's evident of that. You know, when I listen to that, I, I actually, I love the, the, the complimentary playing between the piano and the guitar in that song. And it's a very nice laid back song. And the overall, the overall melody is just so soothing, you know. And that was another one that I played uh, several times, you know, had, had my chair reclined and, and was just listening to it like, wow, this is nice, man. So that was a nice yeah. piece of work. So yeah. uh, I wanted to know, was there something, was there a particular thing that inspired that track? There was, it was a set of lyrics. Um, it, it, we, one of the early bands that I was in, when I came back into things for about from 2000 to 2005, there was a group of us that sort of played some local coffee houses and stuff. And I also got pretty involved in Christian music and uh, uh, playing in churches and that. And so I was developing a circle of friends that could also play. So, you, you know, you get your friends and, you know, you get around, you play together. And one of them uh, handed over a set of lyrics, a poem, a set of lyrics. And he thought it would be nice to have it set to music. And so I grabbed it and this is probably 2002, 2003, uh, put it down and I have a little recording studio. So I laid down some, just all by myself, laid down some tracks. And initially it was really upbeat. The, the melody that you hear was intact, uh, but it was very much upbeat, sort of smooth, jazzy kind of thing. Okay. Um, and so that's where it came from. But then when uh, I got together with Greg Adams to do the CD, and by this time I'd seen uh, 
I'd listened to a lot of East Bay Soul, all of Greg's stuff. I'd, you know, over the years I've, you know, saw Tower Power. I can't tell you how many times, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I also knew um, who Keita was and knew what his skills were and listened to some of his stuff. And he's the guitar player on it. So I knew kind of the palette that I had to work with. And I messed around and came up with the texture that you hear now, that sort of that soothing texture, slowed the song down, let the melody shine. Cause I thought the melody was the, the most important piece of the song. Yeah. And then I handed it over to Greg Adams. He, he liked it. And we laid down the rhythm parts and then he took off in all the string stuff, which is really, I think the magic, it's really a, a it's really three things coming together. You know, I'll take credit for the melody and playing the piano, but Greg Adams' string arrangement is just magical. It really, it brings this thing up and down the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And then what was really interesting, Keita came in and he's a terrific nylon player. And he laid down that solo in one take. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. It was... And when he was doing it, um, he was prepared for multiple takes. Uh, you know, he's in the he's in the studio, and I'm back in the control room along with Greg and everybody else. And he's playing that solo, and I'm just going, "Oh my gosh, this is, you know, in my mind of minds, this is as good as I could have imagined." Let alone, you know, listen to him play it. And then there's a, a, a there's a funny little tidbit. Anybody listens to the song? right at the end of the song he does this incredibly fast run on the guitar to sort of put a button on the song well this was recorded at big surprise studios in uh uh uh, out in la area and uh the big surprise is owned by uh carmen grillo of course carmen you know rita coolidge tower power sons of champlin his own solo career carmen's a monster player all by himself well, he's doing this, he's engineering this thing and we're listening to it. And Keita hits this run, it's just so fast. And Carmen just sort of leans back in his chair and he goes, okay, now you're just showing off. <laughs> you know, and from, from one virtuoso to another, it was like, okay, now you're just showing off. But uh, altogether, I, I was very pleased with it. It was off the CD. We had three things that charted in the US. That was the biggest one by far. Okay. That that song is a great song. And, and I, I can... I can understand how uh, Keita um, got lost in it. And before he knew it, hey, that one take was enough huh, to have it done. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a great, that's great. That's a testament to just how uh, very impactful that song is. Because, uh, I mean, as you're saying, other people listening were listening to it and it was having the same effect on them that I was feeling when I heard it. It's a great song. Yeah. You know, and I, that, that brings, brings me to my next question. I, I was wondering what your... Uh, as a composer of music myself, you know, I, I think that I can have a good understanding of, of uh, the euphoria that um, comes from listening to that finished product after all the hard work and all the hours and time has, has been put into it. And I was just kind of curious as to, uh, is there like a particular process that you go through when you, when you create music? Do you have like a, uh, a set of steps or is it just shoot from the hip or... Uh, there is a bit of a process, I think, um, uh, you know, some of it just comes as I've listened to your stuff. You got some great stuff. You're, you're, you're clearly very good at your craft. And um, uh, there are things, you know, you, every once in a while I'll hear a song and go, boy, I'd like to, I'd like to do something in that groove and you, you know, run to your keyboard and, you know, lay something down and record it as fast as you can. So you don't forget it, you know, when you sleep at night. But I would say yeah. the, the most common process I have is, um, uh, I have a huge, as many people that own their own studios, uh, I have a huge library of drum loops and rhythm loops and things like that, that you might incorporate into things, you know, you know, hundreds of them. Okay. And then I've got these keyboards that you can see behind me and they have, some of them have some patterns built into them and such, you know, that they, they, they give you, uh, you know, they're both Yamaha keyboards and uh, I'll hear a pattern and it will just trigger an idea in me. And so I usually start with, so, you know, what's the under, what's the backbone of this thing going to be? We, you know, is it, is it, are we going to focus on the rhythm? We're going to focus on the chord changes. You know, what is this, what drives this particular idea for a song? And so I think that's where most of it starts. And then I work usually um, 
uh, usually work through chord patterns and then work toward melody. Um, is, is, so it's, for me, it sort of emerges from the, from the bottom of the band, if you will, up into the melody. Um, I'm terrible at lyrics. I haven't written many songs with lyrics and I find other people to write the lyrics. I'm, I'm awful at that. But uh, mm -hmm. in terms of just melodies and things like you heard on the CD, all of those came out of some sort of um, pattern that worked its way up into a melody that I was, I was pleased with. Okay, that, that's very interesting to know. Um, it, I, um, when, when doing music, you know, I, I think that you have a lot of artists and music makers have a particular process that they go through that's basic. And then sometimes they can get that inspiration from uh, other places that may sort of uh, add additional uh, steps to their process, you know, that, but that yeah. the end result still comes out like that, that uh, uh, signature style that you have, you know? Uh, so I think yeah. that music makers, I, I've always been fascinated just as a, uh, when I interview people, I interview them from an admirer. Like I just admire everybody and what they do, you know, and, and, and you're, you're like absolutely no exception. I just so admire your work and uh, you're, you're an awesome artist and keyboardist and musician uh, overall. I mean, top notch. Um, and I understand that you play every Sunday. Is, is, that, um, is that at Grace Presbyterian Church? Yeah, um, I, actually, I've re I, I, ju I just recently retired from that gig. I, we still, well, right now during COVID, nobody plays at Grace Presbyterian oh, Church on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Uh, there is a music director and uh, an organist there. Uh, but um, but I, for 11 years, I was praise team leader. And okay. uh, that just ended just recently though we're still somewhat active. My wife is a classically trained organist. She's a music major. That's, okay. that's how we met. And, okay. um, and, and, and a very good player in her own right. And one of the things we've had fun with in church music in that is uh, oftentimes uh, we're sort of the husband and wife team. She plays organ and I'll sit down either on, uh, we have a grand piano in the church or I'll sit down on one of my keyboards and really lay out some sounds and such. And we, we, we you know, and I, I've gotten her to, uh, um, play some stuff more in the jazzy mode. And she has um, uh, taught me how to really respect some of the classical arrangements in that, you know, so if you're doing okay. something very traditional, um, uh, particularly at Christmas time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's good. Okay. fun. So, yeah. So we're, we're, we're a good team. Yeah. sounds like it clear, obviously, you know, even to the point of a uh, hey, matrimony. Huh? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. That's what uh, I, pl I played. Well, part of my career i played organ where I, I kick pedals and you know tiki you know b3 kind of yeah. things you know and i, I joked that she was the only girl i ever dated that could criticize my technique you know so. right <laughs> <laughs> so have you uh have you um ever done a a sort of like a a, a gospel and jazz fused or blended song with that experience at, at yeah, oh, yes yes very much um when i first got back into this whole music thing uh, I mentioned this guy named Dan Fulmer, who was the uh, fabulous singer. He wanted to do a, a solo Christian CD, and I agreed to um, work with him on it. So I wrote some of the melodies, wrote some of the songs and things like that. So, and that's in what would be defined today as the contemporary Christian or sort of the K-Love kind of world. Okay. Uh, and so, so I did that. As part of all that, though, in playing every Sunday, uh, there is a there's a group of songs. So there's a liturgy of contemporary Christian music and contemporary gospel um, okay. that's out there uh, of songs. And I thought it would be fun. There's uh, one of the songs is a Paul Baloche song, which is sung probably a thousand times every Sunday called open the eyes of my heart. It's usually done with guitars, very traditional folky kind of thing. It's your, your basic four chord song. Okay. And I thought it would be really fun to take one of the melodies like that. Cause uh, you asked earlier about my inspiration. One of the things I really like to do, and I do this a lot with our band touch of class is we take songs and arrange them in ways you wouldn't expect. So we'll take a fast song and slow it down or a slow down song okay. and speed it up um, and such. And I thought, let's take one of these songs and present it not as a gospel song, not as a, a Christian song, although uh, people who know that liturgy would recognize it but let's just present it as decent jazz. And so I rearranged this four chord song, uh, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and turned it into about a 35 chord song and started adding 11s and raised fifths and okay. all kinds of chromatic stuff to it. 
And so I took the basic melody and put this idea underneath it. Well, then I handed it over to um, uh, Greg. And of course, you know, he of, you know, one of the best horn arrangers on the planet put together mm -hmm. the six piece horn section, which was great. But what made it really fun then was uh, Greg Vale was the lead sax player on it. who carries most of the song. And uh, Greg knew the song. He, uh, he played at Saddleback for many years. You okay. know, he's, so he's well-versed in, in that arena of music. And uh, it came out great. You know, so it's a, it's a gospel cool. song. It's not presented as gospel. It's presented as jazz. And I've had people that didn't know it was gospel go, oh, that's a great song. I'm like, yeah, it really is. <laughs> you know, you know, some, good music's good music, man. Doesn't matter where it comes from. That's it. Music is music. And, you know, I, I love that whole idea of the uh, experimentation, you know, that you that you guys were, were employing that that uh, the whole thing of taking a song that would uh, traditionally come across as a uh, fast song and slow it down and vice versa. That that whole experiment, yeah. uh, experimentation thing can it can uh, result in some very, very, very uh, powerful pieces of work. So I yeah. think that's great. You're, oh, yeah. So your song. Um, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Is that this, this up, this up, this up. Yeah. This, this up. up. Yep. Yep. That song. So that song apparently had some very, uh, very notable success on the charts and stuff. Huh? And uh, yes. so I, I was wondering um, what, and I heard that and I love that track as well. A very nicely done track. Yeah. And I was wondering um, when you, when you, when you guys did that, uh, was it something particularly you were looking for musically, some sort of a goal you were trying to reach in doing that track? There was um, the the song itself, just the the melody, and that I was um, as as the CD was coming together. Um, initially, the way the CD came together was I put together um, a bunch of demos, just with these keyboards that are behind me and the rhythm tracks that are on the keyboards. Very very simple stuff, and shout them out to Greg, and he would listen to them, tell me which ones he liked, um, which ones to chart, which I you know th then I would sit down and, and chart stuff and that. Okay. And uh, we then were, would, would take it out to L.A. and start recording it. Well, with this particular song, as I was putting the CD together, I knew I needed something really up-tempo. I wanted something uh, that was going to be early on in the uh, CD that would really get your attention. You know, I love Tower Power. I love Earth, Wind & Fire. You know, those classic things. I wanted something yes. that had that kind of thump to it. Yeah. And so, you know, probably shows my age. I'm a 70s guy, but, you know, there you go. I wanted something like that. So that's where it came from. I, I found a rhythm track I really liked uh, on the keyboard and then just sort of laid down the basic groove for it, as I mentioned earlier, and then started adding melody to it. When I shouted out to uh, Greg, then he added all the stirring and horn arrangements, which uh, they were so significant to the overall texture of the song that uh, he and I uh, were credited as co-writers of the song. He, he helped write the song. I got sort of okay. the, the, the foundation. He took it up to a, a, just an entirely different level. It was, uh, came out well. The title, it's just, I got all done with this thing. I didn't know what to call it. But I was, yeah, I was listening to ask it. You about um, that. Yeah, East, East Bay Soul, Greg Adams and East Bay Soul, they recorded a song called Sup With That. S, you know, with apostrophe SUP, some yeah. of that. And they closed their shows with it half for many years. Uh, not all the time, but they oftentimes they close their shows. And this thing is a barn burner. I mean, it, you know, it's, you know, they do lines of solos and it's got this huge horn section. And so when you go see East Bay Soul, if they finish up with, you know, if people are on their feet, it's a real barn burner of a song. So when I got mine together, I thought it had a competitive, complimentary vibe. So the question was, sup with that? The answer was, well, dis up. <laughs> that's how we came up with it. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, it, nice. it was an answer to Greg Adams. Yeah. Is, <laughs> you know what's up? This is what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I love that.
you know, so with with um, um, with everything that that has happened, you know, uh, with all the success of your CD and all the other uh, successful projects that you guys have have uh, put out, um, would you say that uh, all these things have sort of confirmed with you that this career choice was definitely the one meant for you? It, yeah, yeah. It, it, I have to say, getting stuff on the radio and getting people like yourself to pay attention to it mm-hmm. has been incredibly validating. You know, I, I, you know, I worked really hard in the '70s trying to achieve that level of validation, which, you know, as artists, you know, it comes in multiple levels. And um, you know, our bands in the '70s. We were very successful locally. You know, we had packed, you know, our local nightclub, you know, five, six nights a week and that, but we couldn't break out. We couldn't seem to, you know, get into the arenas and stuff and couldn't seem to get a record label to pay attention to us. And so, um, and part of what was really aggravating about all that was to me was when I gave up was about the time some friends of mine had a little four piece rock band called Cheap Trick, which, uh, you know, you know, the guy, you know, ended up going into the rock and roll hall of fame and I ended up becoming an accountant, you know, <laughs> and that, that I have to admit during the eighties, uh, you know, i I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my career. I did well, but there was this little piece of me that would sit, you know, in my quiet times going, we, I could have, I could have done that. I don't know. You know. Maybe it was good. Maybe it wasn't. So when this came back around 25 years later, and I got, you know, the attention of, of people like, you know, Greg Adams and East Bay Soul, who all were very happy to be part of my project. And that it was just really validating. And I said, you know what, you know, maybe, maybe I do have some chops, maybe, you know, and so it was, uh, it was, it was great fun. Um, and it, it showed me that I can collaborate with the best, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I may not be on their level on many areas, but I can hold my own. And so exactly. that, that just felt good. That just felt good. That that's uh, I'm sure that was very validating. I mean, cause your, 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 your career is very interesting in, in, in how um, other people can look at it and, and draw inspiration from it. Uh, so I, 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 for one drew inspiration from it as well, because uh, some people, they never return to it. They never get back into it. Mm-hmm. They, they never find, uh, you know what, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. And, and they go ahead and they go back into it. Um, so I wanted to ask you too, um, is, is there anything as far as your career and, and your life overall that you regard as your greatest, your greatest achievement? Yeah, I could give you the trite answer, but it's really true. I married well. Okay. Uh, and the, <laughs> I did. You know, you're talking about life partners and people who will support you and people who will just be at your side the whole way, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, are supportive, you know, my, you know, my wife, Carol, yeah, she loves music as much as I do. But when I decided to get back into this thing and I started writing some pretty good sized checks, you know, for instruments and other stuff, she never said a word. It was like, you know, you go guy, you do it. So I would say that's the one single thing professionally i would say it was and now this sounds odd uh for for the context of our conversation today but graduating from college with a degree in accounting was so counterintuitive to anything that i had wanted to do up to that point you know because i I was going to be a professional musician from the time i was about 11 12 years old um but the here's the key thing is you never know what's going to work you never know what's going to work and getting that degree enabled a business career that was very productive and very enjoyable. I really had a good time with it, Mm -hmm. but it opened the door to everything. It opened the door to my ability to come back into the music business, my ability to create relationships with people I really wanted to play with, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to quite honestly fund that CD. You know, I had to lay out some cash to get the CD made, you know, and there's, you know, labels aren't picking up, you know, you know, 64 year old guys, they're just not doing it. And so, um, it enabled me to do that. So that was, that was a, an enabling event that allowed me to pursue passions uh, that I would not have otherwise. So I think those two things um, really sort of support this whole idea of coming back into the music business and doing something 
really interesting, at least interesting to me. Yeah, and that, that's that's what I was saying earlier about every everything plays a role. You know, it, it may not to to the uh, person looking watching from the sideline, it may not appear to be so, but everything plays a role, and it just it just comes back around to, uh, like I said, full circle, right back around to what it is you you're meant to be doing. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I just think that your the whole direction of your career is, is a very uh, big inspiration to other people who would be um, who want to have a career in this industry as well. And I also wanted to know from you, um, considering that, uh, are there any words of encouragement that you might have for others who may encounter their own uh, crossroads or moments where they're questioning whether this is something that they should that they want to do or not? Yeah, a couple things, maybe. Um, one is that it's not either or. You don't, you don't have to abandon a professional career to become a musician. You don't have to abandon your music career to become a professional. You, you can do both. Mm-hmm. And there are complement, complementary aspects to it. Um, here's a good example. Yeah, I spent 10 years basically as a professional entertainer and then to set that aside worked on accounting, started my own company, became vice president of a software company, so on and so forth. The stuff I learned as a professional musician enabled me to become a really high quality public speaker. And that in the corporate world is gold. Uh, You know, the willingness to get up in front of people and be entertaining and be, you know, be comfortable in front of large crowds. You know, I, you know, I played in front of crowds larger than I ever spoke in front of, you know, so a few hundred people to talk about corporate stuff, that's nothing. You know, so, you know, let's talk about it. So there's complimentary things there. I would say um, also uh, my business skills really served me well in this project, being able to pull it together. I knew, you know, I I had, it it is called show business. Exactly. So I've got, I've done some show, I've done some business. Um, Another thing I would say is for musicians, uh, this is something I discovered in the process of making the CD. Uh, When, when I was embraced by the likes of East Bay Soul to come on board and produce a project and, and they're, they're willing to help me, I was really intimidated. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't solo like Keita. You know, I'm not, I don't have, I've got some arranging skills, but certainly not like Greg Adams, who's done everybody from, you know, Elton John to Celine Dion and, and that kind of thing right. and such. But I do have some things I think I can lean back on. And what I discovered was, is that if I worked on, on the project, if I focused on the things I was good at and not try to overcome the things they were good at, right. that I would end up with a better product. And ultimately, I think it, that worked out. So I think, I think as other musicians, figure out what you're really good at and, and go after that. You don't, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not Brian, you know, I certainly don't have Brian Culberson's hair. You know, and there's some things as playing wise that are way better than what I do, but I've got some things that I can do as well, you yeah. know, and as, and, and, you know, and I, I love Brian, I've got all this stuff, you know, and things, but I'm not trying Great to be guy. Brian. I'm just, I'm trying to be more comfortable just being me. That's it. And well, you know, and that's, that's the ultimate goal is to be the best version of you, you know, yeah. focus on your strengths and uh, just apply your focus to that. And, in those other areas where you may need uh, someone to sort of help put, put things together, you could do that, but just focus on what you're good at and um, yeah. just keep it there and everything will work out. It, 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 it usually always does. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's a very strong and very needed piece of advice that people could, could uh, take in, take to heart and uh, utilize that in the pursuit of their own career. So. Yeah, one other thought on 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 that for for one of the things I discovered in this CD process, or uh, I knew it was coming, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise. Um, but I think uh, in the world of business, one of the things that um, one of the mantras in business that I had was that ideas are a dime a dozen, but execution's hard. Yeah, and um, you know, you've written for film. You know, it's not about having an idea. It's about taking the idea and doing something with exactly. it, you know, and, yeah. you know, and I've, I've heard other people who write for film talk about how agonizing sometimes it is because you just sit down and you're blank and you got to go anyway, you got to do it. Yeah. And um, I think that just having the capacity for work, just being willing 
to put your shoulder to the wheel and just push. And uh, with, when I, when I did the CD project, I came in, I, uh, that came about for me was I had a lot of ideas, but I had to bring those ideas to life. And that Mm -hmm. just takes work. You just got to sit down and just do it. So I think, um, you know, be yourself, but also just be willing to work, man. Cause it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You got to work it. That's the other piece of that puzzle. Uh, you have to put in the work. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the film when, when I first started in it, I had no trailer. I had nothing visual to look at. They just told me the, uh, what the movie was about and how long they wanted the, the, the trailer to be. And they just told me to, Hey, go for it. So I had, not only did wow. I start off blind, but I had nothing to even to look at to, to draw any inspiration from, you know, yeah. so that, that was, that was, I, I mean, you talk about sweating bullets, man, that that was, whoa. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. But yeah. thank yeah, goodness yeah. It, it, yeah. It, they loved it. You know, so you're yeah. absolutely right. You have to be willing to put in the work and push aside the fear because fear can, fear can, can discourage and even knock people out of the, uh, their pathway if they, if they, if they allow it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. that's what you said is is that's gold. Um, so, are there any new new projects? Anything else that's in the works that we need to know about here? Uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff with Touch of Class. Uh, one of the uh, fun things, is, and, and that's the band. We've uh, actually got Dr. G over at the Moth. To, uh, we had a couple of things that went up pretty high in the charts over the last oh, year. Great. Well, when COVID hit, uh, obviously all of our gigs got canceled. You know, we yeah. we haven't played live now in, in a year. And, um, but, uh, I have my little recording thing behind me that you see. And, uh, my friend Richard, who's the drummer and his wife, Terry Lynn is a singer. Uh, he has an actual recording studio here in town, Scrimshire sound studios okay. and that. And so, uh, w- we started exchanging files, you, you know, you know, let's, you know, let's hear it for we transfer and, yeah. uh, ideas. And you mentioned, I mentioned earlier, this idea, uh, we took, uh, uh Dr. G over at the moth he had some ideas. He thought that we should do, for example, he sent us a, uh, sent me a thing. He said, I would love it if you guys would redo uh, an old Silla Black song uh, called You're My World. And she did it as a, uh, um, just this pounding six, eight, 12, eight ballad. And I listened to the, I, I knew the song from the sixties and I, I re- listened to it and the, the lyrics are incredibly sad. Yeah. You, know, you know, and she was doing this big belting, you know, it's, I mean, Silla Black's fabulous. You know, she was, yeah. she was wonderful, but I listened to the lyrics. I went, this is a sad song. And so we redid it as a sad song okay. and uh, changed a little bit of the record structure, but definitely changed the structure, the, uh, the tempo structure. And Dr. Dr. Jesus flipped over it. He, he still plays it. It got played last Saturday. Uh, oh, really? After a year. And so the answer to your question is, yeah, we're working on that kind of stuff right now. That, that's my main focus is working with my friends on reworking some of these older songs into um, sort of contemporary cool arrangements. You know, yeah. So I, I, love to, I love to do that kind of stuff. Um, as far as solo stuff is concerned, I'm fiddling around with some things and trying to decide if I have enough energy to go do this again because it was pretty hard. Uh, and so, yeah. I, you know, I would, I would love to do another project with uh, East Bay Soul guys because they're just, they're the best. Oh, they're yeah. The best. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That's, so that, that's that would be good fun. I, I'm not ruling that out. I just, at the moment, I'm not working on it. Yeah. Hey, well, as long as that's uh, something that's in your consideration, that, that's, that's good enough. Uh, and and yeah. that's uh, uh, East Bay Soul. Yeah, they're, they're a great, uh, great group and awesome group. And, um, it's the whole thing of sort of reintroducing re- some of the songs that you're doing, sort of uh, reintroducing them, not only to those who, have, who may know the original, but introducing it to younger audiences who will hear it and who may uh, have a whole new appreciation for it and even go back and listen to the original and like, whoa, both these versions are like very powerful. We love these two yeah. renditions of it. I think that's great to do as well. And uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Great work, man. Great work. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on to the show. I really thank that, Dr. Fisher. Well, my, my privilege. I, I appreciate it very much. I'm, I'm so, so pleased that you like the music. Uh, that, that's what it's all about. That's you it. Like your stuff. That's it. So thank you very much. And please enjoy the rest of your day. And God bless you and your family. And, and just have a great day now. Thanks, Lavelle. Appreciate it. All right. All right. So what did you guys think about that? 
Huh? How about that? Dr. Kirk Fisher. Great interview with a great guy. I so very much enjoyed speaking with him. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fisher, for taking time out of your schedule to come on to the show. It is so deeply appreciated, man. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Um, what a great episode. What a great interview. Uh, Dr. Fisher, as you can see, he touched on some very important things uh, that happened in his career. You know, he when he um, hit that roadblock, um, when where he questioned um, whether or not this was something he wanted to do, he basically sat back, sort of went and started a family, started a business, you know, pursued educational goals, and uh, made a very uh, successful life for himself. Uh, but as you can see. That tugging, you know, it still kind of tugged at him, you know, that, um, hey, this music thing is what I'm meant to do. So he, his life basically went like full circle. Now, he kind of went from the music to doing some other things, you know, and, and uh, I want to note that uh, when he left the uh, industry for that uh, period of time that he left, all those things that he did, including uh, meeting his wife, uh, starting a family, his business, uh, and educational goals pursued and, and, and accomplished, all those things all played a role in his whole career trajectory. They were all very important and very needed to take place in order to help bring him full circle and enable him to see his purpose, like his, his full purpose in the career. Those things, those things all work together to help him uh, make him even better at than he than he started out. Okay. Uh, and uh, his life and the things that happened with him, I think, uh, will enable other people who would like to have a career in the industry who may, as I said before, face some challenges and some roadblocks to kind of see that they're not the only ones who have gone through this or who are going through this. There are some very successful people, such as Dr. Fisher, who also faced his own set of challenges and roadblocks, okay? And he came through um, full circle and even more prominent and um, uh, more, even a greater musician and performer than ever before. So Dr. Fisher, again, thank you. Um, so uh, the Keto Cafe is going through a series of changes and upgrades and modifications to the programming and all kind of stuff like that. Uh, some things I can't really go into detail uh, to right now because they're still sort of in progress and we're still working things out, but it's all designed to make your overall experience of watching this show and listening to this show <clears throat> top-notch. Um, there are things that are happening, some very big things are going to be taking place that I'll be announcing uh, in, the, in the future soon, um, but I just want you guys to know that to keep up with um, the Keynote Cafe, Please, oh, please, oh, please uh, go to our Instagram page at the Keynote Cafe, and you can keep up with uh, um, news associated with what we're doing. Uh, we'll, we'll be posting stuff on that. So that'll kind of keep you up to date as it happens uh, in between uh, the actual shows. Um, birthday shout outs, things like that, uh, all these different things that are designed to pay homage and, and just acknowledge the many great people who have contributed so largely to this industry that we're in. And I'm referring to the industry as a whole, music, film, literature, all aspects of the industry, the Kino Cafe pays homage to. Uh, so you'll find that on, on the Instagram page. You will also find it on our Facebook page at the Kino Cafe. That uh, pretty much the same information, but the two social media sites, you know, because you have some people who may favor one uh, social media platform over another. We sort of use those two to kind of help people, uh, help them all keep up with all news associated with the Keynote Cafe. Uh, in addition, our website, www.thekeynotecafe.com. That is sort of uh, our central place where uh, you can also find out information, uh, but you can also watch the show. Uh, you, can, you can learn more about the show, more about me, um, you can learn more about how we're growing as far as um, our audience, our listening audience, and, and uh, people who we're reaching with each episode. Um, you can listen to the show, if I have not mentioned before, on the Moth FM. So go to 
themothfm.com. And you'll all, you should be able to also uh, listen to the Keynote Cafe on that. And uh, The Moth FM currently reaches an access of 8 million people worldwide. So that's, that's just that platform, right? You know, so that, a lot of people that the Keynote Cafe is being broadcast to um, and growing continually as I speak. Um, so uh, next week, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Also uh, on the website as well, thekeynotecafe.com, you have uh, the uh, Keynote Cafe membership plans, which I would, would like to advise you to take advantage of, not only because of the benefits that it will bring to you, um, but also uh, because of the help that it, it, it brings to the show and enabling us to give you the best programming uh, and also in allowing us to do more things uh, uh, designed to make your experience enjoyable, <clears throat> more enjoyable, um, more things with programming and to pay people who are working on this show tirelessly in order to bring it to you. Um, number of things that uh, you're taking advantage of the membership plans uh, allows and, and, and enables. Um, that basic plan, all the way up to the top one, they're all important. And whichever one you find to be suitable to your, your need, um, please um, sign up for those membership plans and uh, receive and accept the benefits that come with it, while at the same time helping this show. So uh, I thank you very much for uh, coming onto the show and listening, checking out this episode and my interview with Dr. Kurt Fisher. Uh, next week, we're going to have another special guest. I'll let you know more about that on social media platforms, those same platforms that I just mentioned earlier. You'll get news on who our next guest is going to be. So you can prepare for that. Um, but I want you guys to know how much I deeply appreciate you and everything that you do uh, to help the show. I thank all my fans, all my supporters, everybody who uh, keeps up with me and, and has an interest in everything that I'm doing. I'll be making some announcements very soon about some upcoming projects that I'm working on um, as they sort of uh, solidify and get confirmed there. But a lot of great things are coming that I myself are going to be bringing you. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Some new music, um, some more stuff on the film side that I'll be announcing that I'll be doing some scoring on. A uh, number of things that's going to be taking place I'm going to make you guys aware of concerning me, your host, Lavelle Powell. Okay? Uh, for those who don't know, I'm not just the host of the Kino Cafe. I am a composer. I am a songwriter. I, I, I am a producer. Uh, I am a screenwriter. I do a number of things. I hold a number of functions in the industry, uh, all of which I love deeply. None more than the other. They're all the same. I just adore what I do. And I'm going to be working even harder throughout 2021 to give you the best of me, right? So look forward to that. Uh, so as things solidify, as I said, I will be making announcements even in between shows on social media so that you guys are aware of everything. But until next time, I want to thank you guys again from the bottom of my heart for taking time to watch the show and listen to the show. And I look forward to entertaining you again next week. Okay, guys, have a blessed day. All right. Bye. Mm -hmm.